Hello, and welcome to the Embody Podcast. This is Candice Wu, and today I have the fabulous honor of interviewing a friend and colleague of mine, Brent Garcia. Brent is an elite body mechanic, and he came to the traditional East Asian medicine and bodywork tradition because he needed relief from an old Achilles tendon injury. And after receiving acupuncture and massage treatments, he was able to function at a much higher level than he had for the previous 10 years. And that motivated him to study East traditional healing arts, including acupuncture, herbal medicine, Asian bodywork, and Tai Chi, as well as Reiki. In this conversation, Brent and I talk about reintroducing presence into daily life, the dance of the healer and the inner healer in a client or patient, Western medicine and traditional Eastern medicine working in tandem, as well as the experience of being a man admitting pain and asking for help, the courage to see your own shame and name it, and how he has changed his entire life and transformed in his 40s. When I have gone to see Brent for treatments as a licensed acupuncturist and Reiki practitioner, I've left feeling completely renewed and restored. Even just being in his energy is healing because he has such a firm yet gentle approach that just makes me feel like I'm completely supported with non-judgment and I'm held in a healing space. Brent, in 2015, graduated from the Pacific College of Oriental Medicine in Chicago with a Master's of Science in Traditional Oriental Medicine, and he received his massage training from Pacific College as well. So now, as a licensed practitioner, he continues to study anything that will help him be better and more effective as a healer for his clients, and I witnessed that firsthand. So I'm thrilled to have Brent on the show today. We have such a lovely dynamic when we talk, we motivate each other, we support each other in our practices and keep each other in check as far as supporting ourselves. You can find out more information about Brent at the end of this episode, as well as on the show notes at candicewoo.com slash podcast. And before we jump into the conversation with Brent, I want to mention today that this episode is brought to you by donations from my listeners. Thank you so much. I recently started a Patreon page as I've received many offerings of support so that people can continue to be part of this community, to give me feedback, and to receive some lovely gifts from me through the Patreon page. I've designed some personalized healing meditations for those who want to donate monthly. And even a one-time donation or as little as $1 a month would continue to nourish the Embody podcast to continue to have a life and cover the costs of the production. If the Embody podcast has inspired you, helped, or spoken to you in some way, it would mean the world to me if you would show your support through just a small donation. And you can find that on my page at candicewoo.com slash Patreon. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. And without further ado, let's jump into our conversation with Brent. I am really happy to be here with my friend and acupuncturist, Brent Garcia. He is also a traditional Asian medicine practitioner and massage therapist. And the thing I love about him the most is that he can hold lightness and darkness. He can hold the hard stuff, the challenging stuff, the gritty, the nitty gritty, and also play and be light and have fun and connect the two. And he has often helped me do that in myself. 
this beautiful balance of masculine and feminine in his personality and in his practice. I am thrilled to have you here today, Brent. I am thrilled to be here. Thanks so much, Candace. So, um, because I keep messing up <laughs> exactly what <laughs> yeah. you do, would you share with everyone from your perspective what you do? <laughs> That's a great question. I practice acupuncture and I'm also a myofascial trigger point therapist and I'm also a licensed massage therapist and I also integrate Thai body work on the table into my work and on occasion I'm a Reiki master practitioner so I'll include that if a client wants that. So basically what I do is help people without putting them in a box. In other words, like I'm a mechanic. They come to me and say, hey, Brent, here's what I'm dealing with. And I pull out the appropriate tool to help them. So some of my treatments have both acupuncture and body work. Some are just body work and some are only acupuncture. So I really try my best to help the, meet the person wherever they are with whatever modality is going to fit them best. You have such a beautiful concoction of modalities. And I love the way you put it, that you're a mechanic. It's so mm -hmm. accessible. Yeah. Which, to be honest, is what I try to do. I, tr I try to not make my, what I do in the medicine that I practice, I try to not make it some crazy big idea. I try to make it accessible and real so that when people come to receive a treatment, they are met right where they are. And I get to be with them and help them without trying to talk down to them or be over them in any way. I really focus on that in myself and in my practice. So yeah, that's a great choice of words there. Yeah. And earlier you and I were just talking and chatting and you mentioned that you were starting to reintroduce presence and that feels like what you're talking about here what, that you do with your clients. Yeah. In a very real way. Sometimes just being focused on someone, purely solely focused on someone and blocking out any other distractions can be healing in and of itself. So from the moment I'm meeting a client, whether it's a new client or a returning one, I try my best. I'm not perfect, but I try my best to in the when I meet them to be 100% focused on them because I believe that starts the process. I am so with you on that. It's for me, it's a process of feeling that my presence is completely there and it's enough at least for me, it may not be enough for them, but that I know I'm enough in myself, that seems to work wonder. It's like simple. It's simple. And in my opinion, it's all we can do as practitioners and healers. It's so humble too, what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. It, this entire medicine and this entire, my entire practice is a, is a experience in humbling myself in a, in a very real, but, and very authentic and powerful way. It's humbling in a powerful way, not like degrading. It's yeah, this is a humbling, this is a humbling, a very humbling line of work I chose. <laughs> yes, it is. And speaking of 
your choice. How did you get here as an acupuncturist and plus all the other modalities that you use? And also just how did you get here as you is who you are today? Oh, okay, great. Yeah, I'll answer the um, like how, how I got turned on to acupuncture was it's how I quit smoking. Um, I was a pack a day cigarette smoker for a, a while. I, you know, I can't remember now exact years, but I smoked a pack a day and I was at the point where it was starting to get annoying. I was starting to notice my clothing was smelling to where I noticed it. And if I notice it on myself, then other people absolutely notice it. I was, the, the seeds were starting to be planted for me to be done with being a smoker. And I was, I used to be a real estate broker. And in the middle of February, when there was about half a foot of snow on the ground and it was in the teens, I was waiting for a showing and it was so cold and windy outside that I had to keep switching the gloved hand and smoking with the non-gloved hand. So I I had to keep switching. And I literally said out loud, this is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> literally. <laughs> I was on the corner of Lincoln and Kenmore in Lincoln Park in Chicago. And I threw the cigarette down and the gr- on the ground, which, yeah, I, I know is littering, but whatever. Uh, and I looked across the street and there was a sign in the office that said acupuncture for smoking cessation. You're kidding. <laughs> right I can't there. make this up. I can't make this up. I really can't. I, so I, I walked across the street and I walked in and said, I want that. And I got set up. It took me seven treatments and that was over 10 years ago. Wow. So that's what put acupuncture on my, on my radar. How did I actually decide to study the medicine was I was, was in a course and I've heard this before, um, you know, I'm 46 years old. So like over maybe over 20 years ago, I think I first heard this concept from Tony Robbins, but I don't even know if he made this up, but it's, it's Mm -hmm. the old rocking chair test, right? You're 80 years old. You're on your porch. You're in your rocking chair. You're enjoying the evening. And you're looking back on your life. Are you doing what you would be proud of when you're 80 years old? And in September of 2009, that I heard that, and the clear as a bell answer was no. And I needed something else. So I went to an open house at the, the Pacific College of Oriental Medicine here in Chicago. Um, I went to an open house for massage. I was like, oh, I'll just, I'll, I'll just become a massage therapist. Ah, you know, that'll, yeah. Cause I can do both. I can sell real estate and I can be a massage therapist and kind of integrate that. That would be a, a, a way to slowly transition out of being a real estate broker. And it was a two hour open house. We showed up, uh, Sarah Vannon, uh, ran it. She is a phenomenal Shiatsu practitioner here in Chicagoland. We practiced, we talked about the massage school. And then one of the admissions fellas came in and said, you know, I know you're here for massage, but this is also an acupuncture school. So I'm going to give you five minutes of the acupuncture part. And in that five minutes, I was like, that is what I want to do. And so I enrolled in January of 2010 and started studying. And you've practiced and studied the Japanese version. Is that right? Yes. I started to integrate Japanese acupuncture after graduation. Um, 
I really like it. What makes it so interesting for you or what do you like about it? For me, it's a dance. It's, it's traditional TC, like TCM, traditional Chinese medicine as packaged and as taught in many of the schools is kind of a prescriptive thing. You come in with a headache. Oh, I try to figure out the pattern that caused you to have a headache. And then with that pattern, there's a prescription that you do. Just insert the, insert the needles in those points and go about your business. Japanese acupuncture does a lot more, in my view, with palpation and with kind of real-time response from the patient. So I will do some very, uh, by the way, Japanese acupuncture tends to be thinner needles and uh, shallower insertion. I'm really generalizing here, but you get the idea. And so I will try to, I will take the pulses on the forearms by the wrist and decide which organ system needs to be boosted up or tonified. I'll mm -hmm. do a couple points while holding the needle and then recheck the pulses and see if a change was made. Also, it, I use a little bit of abdominal palpation with it. And oftentimes on the table, I can get a change in the abdomen just with one or two needles. So I get instant feedback on how the treatment's going and patients get instant feedback for themselves. Like, oh, wow, I do feel difference. When you press that point in my abdomen, it was really painful, like an eight out of 10. Now it's like a four out of 10. Mm, yeah. So I, I like that it's a dance. It's, it's, it's constantly rechecking in with the patient and not using a prescription per se. It's really just where do I need to go? Where do I need to go now? What do I need to balance now? I love that. And I find that your work is so gentle, but powerful in that way that you're describing because you're doing that dance and because you're listening and seeing and feeling with your patient. That's what I try to do. Yeah. Where do you see the limits of your work in terms of, and I don't know if this is specifically for you or maybe for acupuncture in general, mm -hmm. but I think that's a question that people often ask is where, where's the threshold? What can acupuncture support? And where is it that I go to my MD? This is a many layered answer. Like you had mentioned, I try to hold the space for both the light and the dark, your, your words. And we could kind of change the words a little bit. And says, I like to hold the space between a Western and an Eastern mind. I try to hold the space to see what can be done with acupuncture? And also, by the way, how's your vitamin D intake or how's your magnesium intake or supplementing in that way? I'm all for imaging like uh, x-rays, CAT scans, mm -hmm. MRIs, because I think that the patients that I treat need that. And I, I feel better about what I do when they have that. So I have told people point blank, you need to go see your MD. If there's something that's not being affected or not being changed by the treatment, or if there's a certain sign that or symptom that that comes into the office and it's like, we need you to go <laughs> see somebody about that. Let me give you an example. There's a, a woman that came in with kind of like a 
it was like a blister on the on her middle finger knuckle on the back of her hand. And she was coming in for treatment to get, to be honest, like, I can't remember what she came in, but it was, it wasn't for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like, you know, since, since I'm here, let me show you this. And she showed it to me and a medical doctor who also practices acupuncture. And both of us kind of were concerned by the look of it. It, it didn't, it didn't look like it was just something that you would get. It almost looked like a spider bite. And so both of us were like, um, you don't need a treatment right now. You need to go to the emergency room Ooh. and get that checked out. Yeah. She did. It was not anything particularly serious, but it could have been. And based on the conversation I had with the doctor after she had gone to the emergency, after the patient had gone to the emergency room, it was like, you know, that could have been, you know, a fascial necrosis or some sort of, literally some sort of spider bite where venom continues to travel up the arm over a period of minutes. And it's serious. So did I answer your question? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think think you're saying, which makes sense, it's case by case. Yes. And you have no problem about just saying, go to your MD. And also that it's complimentary and that maybe the best, well, it's quite nice when people are going to both and that way there's this dance with everyone and what a person might need. Absolutely. There, there are times when you need Western medicine and there, in my opinion, are times when you need, for lack of a better term, Eastern medicine. And if you have a serious medical emergency, you need to see a Western doc. And if you aren't sleeping well, you probably need to come see a practitioner like myself because we have better methods for sleep that are more gentle and more lasting, in my opinion, than just prescribing a drug for it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really finding what each, do, what each modality does well and then yeah. using, using that for the best safety of the patient. That makes complete sense. I want to switch gears a little and... You haven't mentioned working with men yet, and I know that that's a big part of your soul. Can you talk more about that? I think in general, our society is set up to not allow men to be vulnerable in pain and not at their best. And it's looked upon in our society as a weakness to admit that. In, you know, I'm spe- by the way, Candace, I'm speaking 100% in general. But yes. I think it lays the foundation of for what I'm about and, and what my beliefs are and what my stand is. But our society isn't set up to allow men to admit weakness. And I have suffered from that personally. I think that's why this touches my heart so much. I think that's why this goes so deep is because I have suffered from that myself. I've tried to squash feelings and squash pain with drugs and alcohol. I've tried to uh, isolate myself. I've, you know, I I used to be, (laughs) I used to eat a pint of ice cream a night for years. And the last thing I ever wanted to do was to ask for help and to admit to other people that I needed help and that I wasn't feeling good. And then I didn't know how to get out of the the rut I was in. And where that really started to strike me 
was that I wouldn't. So when I finally got a little bit of willingness to ask for help, it would be from women. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I want to be a resource for men to come to, to have safety, to have openness, to be able to be vulnerable in their whatever they're dealing with, because I think it's a needed thing in our society. And I think that not only do men benefit that from that, but women benefit from having men be that way. Absolutely. Because of the balance of what men feel they're allowed to say, do, and experience, that doesn't really benefit women at all and or other genders that I'm not naming. But it's, it's for the benefit of everybody that that openness and permission is there because it's human. Yes. So have you found a man to ask help from? If yes. I'm getting you right, right? Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Who has been your mentor or someone that you've been able to receive that sort of support from? Yeah, it's a, it's a great, it's a great question. And, um, based on agreement, I have to keep their anonymity, but, but, uh, I can tell you that I have a really good friend in New Mexico, a really good friend in Colorado, actually two really good friends in Colorado. And, also, I am part of a men's uh, men's mastery call, which we get on. A, there's uh, six men across the uh, nation that are we get on a call twice a month and share, hold each other accountable, keep hold the space for other people, for other men to to share the ook of what, the ookiness of what's going on in their lives. Mm-hmm. So I have I have been blessed in finding that. And it's made an enormous difference in my life. That's huge. Yeah. What do you feel, Brent, is or has been the challenge in being vulnerable or opening up or sharing what you're feeling? For me, it's, I think it's because of what I said in that, in that it is not socially accepted. And I have like I like I had mentioned sometime earlier on this call I am certainly not perfect and not, nor do I claim to be and so I still struggle with that unwillingness to show who I really am because I don't want to be ridiculed and I don't want to mm-hmm. be put down and I don't want to be shown as weak so it's a very real struggle that's there the good news is I'm conscious of it and I'm aware of it. And I am in conversations with other men about that. But yeah, that it still is there for me. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would add to that is on the flip side, the alternative is puffery or machissimo or, you know, strutting like physically when physically walking is actually strutting. And, and I don't find that to be authentic either. So the unwillingness to be vulnerable, in my opinion, is inauthentic, as is the puffery. So like all things, the middle, (laughs) the middle way, middle ground is where the action is. The middle ground is where the juice is. And I do my best to get that message to men. And it sounds like part of the message is the middle ground of being in your emotions, being in your experience openly and feeling strong because of it within it 
even if you're in tears, even if you're breaking down. Um, I'm just getting that from you, from who you are. But it sounds like that's also what you're saying. Yeah, in a very real way. So I'm curious with all the work that you do for the community and for your um, your patients. I know that you do your own work, as you've said already. But I'm curious what really makes you feel alive for yourself. What restores you? Two things come to mind as far as restoring me, which I guess in in effect makes me feel alive. Um, I have really uh, taken on being a good sleeper. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's really simple. It's really simple, but it's very profound. Um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I've been, I've taken on being a good sleeper for the longest time. I would, I would, I was a night owl, you know, I drank a lot of alcohol. I did a lot of drugs, you know, it's going back years now, like over 10 years now, but I used to stay up till three, stay up till four and then go to work night after night after night. And there was of course the effects of the drugs and alcohol that made me less than optimal, but my sleep quality was just in the toilet. So ever since I started focusing more on my sleep, which is really as simple as getting into bed, trying it. Now again, there's no, (laughs) I'm not perfect, but like trying to get to bed by 11 o'clock at the latest and at least lying down and reading and then waking up at a natural hour to the best of my ability. That has helped restore me so that when I'm walking through life, when I'm at my practice, when I'm at the gym, when I'm talking with people, when I'm being part of the community, I'm alive. The other thing that has happened relatively recently is I kind of really jumped into strength training about four years ago. And, you know, I was a soccer player in college and you know, like I said, I was four, I'm 46. So when I played soccer in college, it was the early to mid nineties. And back then we were actually actively told not to strength train because you would quote unquote, become unflexible, which now, if you look at any professional soccer player, they, they absolutely strength train every single one of them. But I I looked down upon strength training. I just thought they were a bunch of meatheads. Um, and then I started working in a gym, (laughs) uh, treating people, you know, I would do massage at first. And then when I became an acupuncturist, I would also, um, treat them with acupuncture, but I also started doing a little bit of personal training and started to teach some classes, some strength training classes. And I started training myself and I'm talking like, you know, barbell, dumbbell training. And that is I didn't realize how much benefit I would get from strength training, (laughs) just physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. It was just amazing. Let me, can I tell you a quick story? Please. This was going when I first started training. I was probably about four years ago. I was in a strength training class and I was really, really, really angry and hurt before the class. To be honest, I can't remember why. But I was I was just out of sorts. And I had the thought, I'll just go to the gym and just be in my own little world in this class of like 10 other guys. I'll just, you know, focus. This will be perfect. I'll just stay in my anger and I'll 
I'll just ignore everyone else. And when I did that, I almost got run over by a prowler and (laughs) I almost dropped a weight on my head because someone was walking by and I wasn't paying attention. Oh my goodness. And I got really clear that, hey, Brent, when you strength train, you have to be present. You can't be thinking about patience. You can't be thinking about your dog or your cat or, or the crappy thing that happened on the way to the gym or, or the fear of the thing you have to do when you leave the gym. You have to be present at the gym with every single rep. Otherwise, you could get really, really hurt. And it's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. That was, that, that was something I didn't expect strength training was going to provide. It's amazing. That's a really powerful story. <laughs> my, or my Achilles tendon was very happy. I, I at the last second jumped out of the way because there was a, a little sled foot that was going right at my Achilles, uh, Achilles tendon. So, oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> the, the literally so love, so hard the, lessons. Literally hard lessons. And yeah. That, so strength training restores me. So uh, I'm curious what has been most on your mind or your heart lately? I'm at the age where when I double my age, that doubles to 92. So lately, I've become very aware of the fact that at least according to our current actuarial tables, right? Mm-hmm. At least according to statistics, I am well over, not well over, but I am, I am over halfway in my life, provided nothing happens, right? If I die a natural actuarial table life, I'm over halfway. And what I've been aware of is I haven't been really producing what I know I'm capable of as far as material things, I guess you'd say. You know, I'd mentioned earlier that, you know, I I still struggle with a friend and a mentor who called it toxic comparison is, you know, not just comparing myself to someone, but every time I compare myself to someone, I come up short and it it's like a toxic ooze that just kind of takes over my thinking. Yeah, I know that one. So I've become aware that as much as I've tried, as much as I try to be present, as much as I try to be the best, the best version of myself, as much as I try to exude everything that I am to the best of my ability, oftentimes in my brain, I still come up short and have been for a long period of time. When, especially when I, when I get into that toxic comparison with my peers. Yeah, that can be the hardest at times, like to, to see who's around you and to make that comparison when our journeys are completely different. Completely. And I, you know, it, when I'm aware of that fact, I realized that I, I had free will and I had choice, but, but like, this is my path. I'm walking my path and it looks this way because it's mine and your path looks your way because it's yours and everyone else's path looks their ways because it's theirs, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I get the same way. It's like looking at what people have done and what maybe they receive. I can start to feel like I should be doing that or why aren't I? And then if I actually go back into myself, <laughs> there's a way that I tell myself, like, keep your head down in a good way for me. Mm-hmm. Don't do that looking out because it's always 
taken me the wrong direction? And when I go back inward. Yeah. So you, when you, when you, when you say, keep your head down, you mean go back inward. I do. I mean, take my eyes off of what's out there around me and turn it inward into my heart, into my soul and work with the feeling that comes up. Usually for me, it's like, I'm not enough. I don't have enough or I'm not enough. Then just checking in with what I need to do with that. What do I need for that? And then what do I need to do for me? And in my soul, like, what is my soul telling me the next step is in my life or what to do? Because it's probably not go make that program just like that person did <laughs> and nope. go for it because it's, it's just never that. It's not. I, I, I totally identify with everything you said and I've experienced that. And I know, I know, you know, just to kind of extend with that for me, what, what helps is sometimes if like, I have to, to use your words, like put my head down, or I have to go inward and I have to check out with what's really going on. But what's been so valuable in having that be the seed of something greater and something authentic for me. And, and most importantly, like growth is I have to bring it to other people and check in with them and like, yo, this is what's going on. This is, this is where I'm at. And that is going, you know, going back to what I had said earlier, that, that is what I never did when I was younger, all the way to maybe even like my late twenties, early thirties is I, I just, I thought I had to do it all myself. I thought I had to do it all alone. I had to figure it out. And if I didn't figure it out, that meant I wasn't enough. So when I get caught in that, it's so valuable to go in. And I think it's a vital step to go inward and to feel that and to check that out and to get it. And I then have to bring it to other people, Mm -hmm. bring it to people who have the capacity and the willingness, most importantly, to listen and provide feedback and provide response and guide and whatever. Have you found that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that I've been in my life, somebody that has had strong friendship connections. I'm so grateful for that across my life. And so I've, I'm used to, you know, like maybe it's also a genderized thing, right? But I am quite used to being able to reach out to my friends. What you're speaking to that um, was a challenge for me was to reach out to my colleagues is to be vulnerable enough to share with my colleagues that this is going on or that I'm insecure or anxious about whatever it is versus my friends, because it's great. I know my friends are in my corner and I can do that. And they all we're supportive and we go deeper with each other, but to do it with my colleagues felt much scarier. It was like, I'm actually going to expose parts of me that I didn't want to, I don't want anyone to see. And yet I'm sure they can all see it, especially because most of my colleagues are therapists. (laughs) (laughs) Who was I? How was I going to hide that? Come on. You're the last to know. Everyone around is like, uh, yeah. Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad you finally admitted that to yourself. That's really good for you. (laughs) I know. Uh, So, yeah. What? It's so hard for... For us to be vulnerable. And I guess I can't speak for everybody, but it has been for me. And yeah, I completely resonate with that reaching out being important and being able to receive then what what's there and debunking the the idea 
that something's going to happen that's scary. Because every time it did that, it was, I guess, it probably in 99% of the times, it was met up with compassion or support and help. And I grew from it. So the bad and scary things didn't happen. Yes. And this is a perfect time to bring it up, in my opinion, because this goes back to an earlier question about like, how, how did I get here? Like, how did I become an acupuncturist? Yes. But how did I also get here? For seven years, I was part of a, a process group. We met weekly for two and a half hours and there were anywhere, you know, there was some fluctuation. So there was, it was anywhere from like three other people to maybe four or five or six other people. And it was moderated by a really awesome mentor of mine in a very real way. Um, and we got an opportunity to check in, which is, you know, where it kind of equals group therapy, except all the other participants, when we were done checking in, all the other participants got an opportunity to respond. And I remember when I went to a therapist, this therapist, and I went to her for like three sessions. And each time she had said, I really think that you should join the group. And when she first described the group, I was, I was terrified of they get to respond to the filth that I'm gonna, that I'm thinking about myself or the, or the bad things that I'm thinking about, <laughs> they get to respond. And I have to tell you seven, you know, I, I was, I, that was 10 years ago, seven years in that group. And then I've seen the therapist off and on for the last three years, that work has been so powerful because it's from the moment you walk in for the very first time, you are being vulnerable just by being there. And then to have others respond and to have that space for me to bring whatever is going on in the moment. You know, that's the, that was the beauty of it, is that in the moment there were things that would come up, anger or shame or fear or, well, it's always shame, but like anger or fear or joy or whatever. And there was an opportunity to share that and to have response from the other participants and from the facilitator made a huge difference in my life. I am unrecognizable from 10 years ago because of many things. And, and that's one big thing. That's incredible. What kind of feedback did you get or response did you get that has stuck with you? I'll answer that. Before I answer that in that group and that process, well, there is a distinction between response and feedback and advice. Feedback and advice is like, this is what, you know, I heard what you're saying. You should do this. Response right. was often what I was experiencing. So if you, if we were in the group together, you would check in about whatever you want to check in about. And then my response would be what my process was, what's going on for me. Of course, it's going to have some overlap and it's going to touch on what you said. But the value was was the response of what I'm feeling in the moment and what I'm experiencing in the moment. It's such a shift of gears, right? To be able to say, I feel this when you say, when you're talking about this, I'm feeling da 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 And we're so used to doing something different. Yep skipping ahead or not talking about our own reaction. 
Yep, exactly. Talking about the other person, not talking about what's going on with me. We're not set up to do that. And that's like the primary thing of relating. <laughs> right? <laughs> I need to pause for a second to just really get the impact of what you just said. Yes, <laughs> that is some that is foundational to relating to people. And I'm saying that precisely even for myself, because I always have to remind myself to go back to how am I feeling when someone's saying that and, and not focusing it completely on them in a way that's almost icky, I guess. I, I don't have the words to describe it, but even with my clients, to know what I'm feeling, whether or not I express it, but to stay with that and relate to what they're saying instead of something else. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And to kind of wrap into the, your other question, like what kind of uh, response did I, did that stuck with me? I mean, you know, as you can imagine weekly for seven years, I got a, I got a lot of response and I had a lot of response, but I think one of the main things was the concept and the disease pattern around shame and how pervasive that is and how untalked about it is in general society, although it is being talked about more. I would say in the last five or six years, I've heard a, you know, a lot of TED Talks and et cetera of dealing with and addressing shame as one of the foundational, maybe even the foundational piece that we deal with as human beings and the hiding of that shame. Shame over shame. That's another common thread is I would so often say, you know, I'm experiencing massive, a massive shame hit right now. And I'm feeling a lot of shame that I feel shame. Mm -hmm. The only phrase that comes to mind is double whammy. Oof, it's like a double yeah. whammy. You get hit twice. It's like a, a one, two punch. Well, and to be able to break through that, to speak to it, sounds like it took a lot of courage. And at least I know for me, it can take a lot. It does. And my willingness to be courageous in that arena and others is my capacity to do that is way higher now because of this work and, you know, tons of other things that I've done. My searching path has led me down many different roads and it's been really awesome. I'm so glad. I feel this whole world just opened up in me when you were talking about shame as a disease pattern. And I started thinking about in somatic experiencing how the physiology of shame is spoken about. And it's the same physiology, like the way the body is experienced, what's happening in the body as defeat. Head down, I didn't, I couldn't do it. And most of the time, instinctually, the I couldn't do it is about something, a time when they may, need, may have needed to protect themselves or speak to something. And we may not know when that time was at this point because it's, it lives in us and accumulates. And in my work, it accumulates over the ancestry as well. So it can just be like, Maybe quadruple whammy times 10. I don't know at totally. that point. Totally. But what I got excited about, Brent, was the disease pattern of shame and in your specific modalities, how you see that in the body and what you notice happens or what meridians are shutting down. That's my words. I don't know if you would use that, but what do you see there? I think... 
it's more of an intuitive process in that when it's happening on the table, I think that's one of my gifts. My gift is the ability to be with someone else's shame and to not judge it. And it doesn't live like, oh, that's the, you know, that, that is showing up in the, the kidney meridian. For me, it's the whole person at that moment is experiencing it. And through the grace that I received from whatever path I walked down to get to this moment and the work that I have done around shame and the mentors and guides that I've had around that sort of work, that separates me. I think it's, it's my ability to be with their shame that allows them to feel comfortable and safe and to do whatever healing and process they need to do. And it doesn't, you know, in my experience, that doesn't live as I don't particularly look at it like a, as a, a meridian problem or something in the channels that needs to be shunted or tonified or dredged or moved or whatever. It's really just holding the space for them to be exactly who they're who they are to, for them to be the light and the dark. And for me to be able to continue to do the work that allows them to heal themselves. So you and I do the exact same thing, but you just have needles. Yep. <laughs> because I, I almost felt like when you said, I don't look at it like the kidney radian or whatever, I, I almost felt like, thank goodness. Thank you. Because I feel that when I work with you, when I'm receiving acupuncture from you and, and working with that with you. Wow. Yeah. So uh, I want to change, shift gears again. Sure. And yes. go for a little lightning round, a little fun here. Yes. I'm just going to ask a couple of questions and whatever comes to mind or heart, feel free to share what, what's right for you. We'll, we'll do. And I, I do need to say that this whole, this whole thing has been fun. So this is just a different <laughs> yeah. kind of fun. Exactly. It's a <laughs> it's little quick paced fun. fun. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm no, ready. I've had so much fun already. And yeah. I've also felt very humbled by everything you've shared about yourself and the work you do and how you see life. So thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for creating the space. You're welcome. Okay, here we go. Boom. What is the strangest dream you've ever had? Uh, I was crawling uh, out of a cave uh, that had plenty that moss all over. It was sunlight, so it was like a it like wasn't a pure cave. And there were spiders, these white spiders everywhere. And I had absolutely no fear. It was more just like uh, like kindred spirit. Oh wow. And, and just in, as an extension, if you could ask your dream, or if you were to ask your dream a question, what would you ask your dream now? What am I missing that would allow me to accept who and where and what I am right now? That's deep. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how to go any. I like, love I, it. Just what came to mind. <laughs> and you know, yeah. I love that stuff. That's like where I, I I'm I like, my, my whole body is like excited right now. <laughs> I do. I just, for some reason, I just like, I, like Bill Murray just came to mind. It's like, whoa, that's, <laughs> I don't even know like why that's there, that, but that's a little insight into my brain. This yeah. Is Bill Murray. Bill Murray. So, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, and I am curious what your dream would say. Yeah, maybe that's not a question for now, but for you. Yeah, <laughs> I'll have, yeah, I'll have to get back to you on that one. Yeah, please. <laughs> what do you bring with you everywhere you go? My guide tube. It's the uh, it's it's the silver guide tube that I use um, sometimes with for my needles. It's you know, oftentimes there's plastic guide tubes that mm-hmm. come with a pack of needles. In Japanese, you use uh, kind of like a either a silver or some other, you know, non non reactive metal as your guide tube. And I tend to carry that with me everywhere. Ah, uh, yes, I've seen that. It's really nice. Okay, so you're a good sleeper now. Most days, it sounds. But if you didn't have to sleep, what would you do with the extra time? I'd read. What would you read? Uh, I'd read two things, uh, two, well, it's really two sets of things, which is really just an extension of what I read now. Uh, three things. The first thing is any sort of, um, of my East Asian medicine books and any new books that I'm or on order. I love reading kind of like, um, books. The ones that are at mind at mind right now are, um, the war of art and turning pro by Stephen Pressfield. Oh yes. And, yeah. And books like that. I, you know, um, I love picking up Eckhart Tolle. In fact, I picked up a new earth, uh, the last couple of days, including this morning and just the wisdom. There's so much how to live. Yeah. It's yeah. every time I pick it up, it's like, I, I cannot believe I, like I, I have the passage underlined and I still have no recollection of ever reading it because it's so so present and so, um, what's the word where it, it it's helpful right now. It's so timely. It's mm-hmm. so timely it, to wherever I'm at. It's like, it speaks over and over again, over again. Correct. Correct. correct, <laughs> I, correct. You know, that's a really great description of that. I have that exact experience, I think with that book, but also with other books that where you read it and it's like, Oh, that's fresh and exactly relevant now. Did I read that before? I thought I did. <laughs> I must have because that's my handwriting, <laughs> but I, I, I didn't, I don't remember. And then, right. <laughs> and, then, and then the third type of books is I love like, um, like R.A. Salvatore fantasy novels. And I, my wife just bought for my birthday, bought me, um, three Ed McBain like pulp fiction novels. They're like 87, 87th precinct and hard boiled detectives. And like, I love that stuff too. So like pulp fiction. Oh yeah. So that's great. Okay. Here's possibly the last question. What is a controversial opinion you have? That there actually are stupid questions. (laughs) Like I do not, I personally do not believe there are no stupid questions. I do believe there are stupid questions. <laughs> what? Tell me more. <laughs> Cause I feel, so, I feel that actually now that you're saying it, it stems from, a, it stems from a couple things. One, it's, it stems from for a brief period of time, I taught high school chemistry and my wife who used to teach high school English for 10 years. And I have had this conversation where there will, you know, once you, once you're getting to high school, these kids are savvy and they ask questions just to mess with the class. And they ask questions just to waste time sometimes, not all the time, 
But like th- there will be that, you know, stereotypical class clown who will ask questions. And like, I, <laughs> that's a stupid question. Oh, I know that <laughs> very well. I know that question. so well. Yes. <laughs> You're not actually forwarding or actually authentically inquiring into something. You're just trying to mess with me, which is cool. I respect that. But it's a stupid question. When a question's actually a manipulation or when it's meant to do something else. Yes. And, you know, every every class I've ever been in, every seminar I've ever taken, it's all, you know, any any sort of CEU credit. It's like, hey, there's no stupid questions. You know, and they always throw in, if you have this question, someone else probably does, too. So ask your dumb question. Great. If you want to manipulate the class and, and kind of wreck it. Somebody else wants to, too. So join in, which is probably true. You know, the energy is <laughs> yeah. in the room. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if that's like really like controversial or anything, but uh, opinion. But like, yeah, it's a it's a stand I have. I don't know. It's, well, you know. I, I think it. Yeah. Controversial or not. It's it's some, something someone something people say. And I don't I actually agree with you. I don't believe that that's true. That it's there are no stupid questions. Yeah, you know, and in the words of Bill Hicks, I, uh, I'll say, you know, I don't always choose wisely, wisely, but I'm committed. Thank you. Well, Brent, is there? This is really fun. Um, the whole thing, as we talked about, is there anything else that is coming to you now? Any last thoughts? Anything you'd like to share with with everyone listening? You, the listener, are perfect, just the way you are. And there are people like Candace and myself that do our best to create spaces that allow you to be that way. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Brent, where can everyone find you? And by the way, your healing crisis video was really fun to watch on your website. (laughs) (laughs) You know, my website is the best way. I try to keep that as like the portal, you know, the, the, the spoke or not the spoke in the hub, the hub. So it's, it's, it's a Brent Garcia.com. And I say, because, you know, that's my name is Brent Garcia. So therefore that's my website, Brent Garcia.com. Um, so there it is. That's the easiest way. And you can email me at Brent at Brent (laughs) Garcia.com. Perfect. There you go. So easy. Yeah. <laughs> it is. I try to keep it simple. <laughs> it is what it is here. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. I I learned so much. I felt so much. I've had a lot of fun with you as always. And I would love to have you on the show again. I just have 50 million questions and we've already gone about an hour or over. So thank you, Brent. You're welcome, Kenneth. Thank you for your space and thank you for your creation this is amazing stuff and your work is amazing see you down the road i want to thank brent so much for joining me on the show i learned so much from him and continue to as uh, we are both on our journeys brent combines traditional and modern systems of east asian medicine with body work and trigger point therapy providing custom treatments to eliminate pain and cultivate well-being in his patients and his private practices in Chicago at two locations. And you can find all that information as well as book a treatment on his website at www.brentgarcia.com. Before you leave, I'd like to invite you to listen to more interviews, meditations, and explorations 
on candicewu.com slash podcast. And you can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter and become a member of the Embody community at candicewu.com slash embody, where you can get lots of free resources on embodiment, self-love, healing, meditations, as well as information about my retreats, workshops, private sessions, and other offerings. Thank you so much for listening and see you next time on the Embody Podcast.